When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. Doug Liberace here from Cleveland.com. I have a couple different things coming at you today, changing it up a little bit. Um, I'm going to dig in first to the Matthew Baldwin stuff. We did not do an emergency podcast last week. I wrote a post at Cleveland.com, 21 thoughts about the Baldwin transfer. We'll go over those a little bit. Talk about the future, backup quarterbacks, that kind of thing. Then I have a quick interview that I think is interesting and a little different. It's with a Buckeye fan named Jasmine Gordon and her 13-year-old son, Tylen. And it's about how much he looks up to this group of Ohio State players and guys that are headed to the draft. And I've been sort of talking with Jasmine since January. She put up a social media post that caught my attention um, just about how much these players were role models. Players like Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin, and Mike Weber were role models to her son. And I just thought it was a good reminder um, that these guys matter to people and have an impact on people. So that's a quick interview, something different. And then we're going to go about an hour with Jake Burns, who is our film guy at Cleveland.com. There's a lot of Browns breakdown stuff, but he also came to the spring game and did a post last week breaking down the Ryan Day offense and what he saw of it. So Jake and I, Jake's really good. Jake and I dug into the the evolution of the Ryan Day offense, what it's going to look like, what we could glean from the spring game. And then we talked a little bit about Dwayne Haskins as a pro prospect. And, and Jake and I had had some Twitter discussions about Dwayne. So um, the draft is coming up Thursday. It may have happened by the time you listen to this. I, I had projected, I did a list on Wednesday morning of where I think all the Ohio State guys are going to go. And I'll run through that here later. I had Dwayne Haskins going ninth, uh, trade up with the Redskins. And now as I'm sitting here on Wednesday afternoon, there's already rumors about maybe the Redskins trading up into the top five to get Dwayne Haskins. So Jake Burns, Jasmine Gordon, and her son. Um, but first, I'm going to deal with the Matthew Baldwin stuff. Again, Doug Maurice, follow us on Twitter at Doug Maurice at Stephen underscore means. Stephen will be back on uh in later weeks and at Buckeye Talk Pod. The Gmail account is Buckeye Talk Pod at gmail.com. And I'm going to go to, um, you know, I'm going to go to the Project Text people first. Again, quick ad for Project Text. I text you once or twice a day, four bucks a month. People seem to like it. 
Cleveland.com, we have ads for it all over the place. We have other people doing it, Cavs, Indians, Browns, entertainment, politics. It's little mini stories straight into your phone. You don't have to go find it. Uh, the people, I know there's some listeners out there who are hearing this right now who have subscribed. Seems like they've liked it so far. So Project Text, you can get me on the Buckeyes once or twice a day, every day. I just sent out a thing right before I started this podcast about Larry Johnson. But I'm going to go through some of the questions that people responded with. When I sent out a text a couple days ago about how much Ohio State has needed its backup quarterbacks over the years. And so I initially was going to calm everybody by saying, you know what, Justin Fields is the only scholarship guy here that is a plan. Chris Chuganoff, who's their number two right now, is a transfer from West Virginia. There's never a plan for him to play here, um, and they're going to have to get another transfer, right? So basically it's Justin Fields and that's it. If Justin Fields goes down, um, you're in trouble. But but like, how much should you be worried about that? So I started to look through stuff, and I was going to ease everyone's mind, and then it's like, oh, yeah, they actually have needed or haven't used a second quarterback a lot. And there's a companion question to this that we'll get to, but – when I went back through the years that I've covered Ohio State, and that starts with the 2005 season, we know in 05, so eight of the 14 years, eight of the last 14 years, at least two quarterbacks have played meaningful snaps. So more than half the time. 2005, they kind of couldn't figure out Troy Smith, Justin Zwick early in the year. The first game I ever covered here was the Texas loss in 05 at home. We know in that game they were rotating quarterbacks. It messed things up. They eventually went to Troy, but Justin Zwick did take meaningful snaps that season. In 08, Todd Beckman begins as the starter, and then very quickly, Terrell Pryor takes his job. 2011, it's the Joe Bosserman, Braxton Miller mess after everything went crazy and Terrell Pryor left. Um, Luke Fickle was left trying to go back and forth between Bowserman and, and Braxton. 2012, Kenny Guyton comes in and saves the day against Purdue after Braxton Miller gets hurt. Without a, a, a good backup quarterback, that's the year Urban Meyer goes undefeated, 12-0 that first year. If they don't have a good backup quarterback, which is luck, they don't go undefeated that year. Kenny Guyton saves them. I did a story about it a couple years ago. 2013, Braxton's hurt again. Kenny Guyton starts two games and is like throws seven touchdown passes. Is against uh, Florida and M and Cal is like the national player of the week. That's what Kenny Guyton did. 2014, we know what happened there. Cardale Jones, obviously the myth, the rise. Not it's not a myth. The rise of the of the folklore of the third string Ohio State quarterback. 2015, they go back and forth with JT Barrett and Cardale Jones. Too much of the year. 2017, Dwayne Haskins has to come in and help save the Michigan game. So backup. Some of that is you couldn't figure out a quarterback, and and this is better than that, right? Matthew Baldwin being gone is better than some kind of thing where all year they're going back and forth and they can't figure it out between Justin Fields and Matthew Baldwin. Now, the thing is, that was never on the table. Justin Fields was always going to win this job. And again, if you read my post when this happened, when you guys, I, I appreciate that people call for the emergency podcast. I wrote an emergency story. There was a lot of stuff in there. I hope you read it. Justin Fields was going to be the starter here. So again, like if you got an impression from people that you follow, um, that it might not be Justin Fields, that it might be Matthew Baldwin, like that was never going to happen. It was always going to be Justin Fields. So you, you'll you take the number one guy. But those are examples where you've needed the backup to save you in 17, in 2012, in 2013.
both JT Barrett and Braxton Miller were injured here. So that's another thing we'll get to with like the, the, the possibilities of Justin Fields getting injured as a guy who is going to run some. But the reality is um, you're all in on Justin Fields and you have to keep your fingers crossed because more than half the time they certainly over the years have needed a backup quarterback. But bottom line, Matthew Baldwin did not transfer because of playing time. He transferred because he wanted to go home. One of my big things that I wrote in that post is that they need to get a backup quarterback who's not going to leave. And the way you do that is by recruiting a backup quarterback. And nobody wants to talk about that, and nobody ever wants to admit it. But I strongly believe, and I assume you agree, the best quarterback room is not four or five stars. Because they're not all staying. You've got to have somebody who's willing, who is a, it's a fine line to thread that needle. A guy you believe in who can play in an emergency but is not going to leave if he's not the starter. And there has been the perfect backup here. And it was Kenny Guyton. Kenny Guyton was a desperation recruit plucked out of Texas. Desperation. They did not, they could not get a quarterback. And the story is John Peterson, the recruiting coordinator back then under, under Jim Trestle, they needed a quarterback on signing day. John Peterson was in Houston, so he basically just went to wherever he was that might have a quarterback. And Kenny Guyton was a high school quarterback in Houston, and they got him. Kenny Guyton was going to Rice or Prairie View A&M, and he wound up at Ohio State. He was never going to leave. He was going to go to Prairie View A&M, maybe. He was never going to leave. But he turned out to be a guy that you absolutely you love, Kenny G. You know that you could rely on. And now, look, he turned that opportunity into a career. This guy is going to be a college coach. He might be a college head coach someday. Everybody loves him. He took advantage of his opportunity at Ohio State by realizing, A, he's never going to be in the NFL. So he doesn't have to go job hunting to start. And B, realizing you're not going to start. This is when Urban Meyer started talking about mental reps. Be ready. <coughs> Excuse me. Be ready when the opportunity presents itself. And he was to the nth degree. So go find another Kenny Guyton. I think it's better if you find the Kenny Guyton of Ohio. So he can't get homesick. So he wants to be a Buckeye for other reasons besides I want to get to the NFL. Of course you want a guy who has that dream. But you also, it's okay to be realistic. Okay? Most college quarterbacks don't go to the NFL. So if you are a backup at Ohio State, you might not end up in the NFL. Now, Cardale Jones, you know, Cardale Jones is a great example. He, as we saw, had NFL potential. Man, when he got a chance to play, people thought he might be a first rounder, wound up going in the fourth round. He's an Ohio kid. He did everything he could to get an Ohio State offer. He held out and held out and held out, went to prep school, held out to get the offer and then stuck it out when really Urban Meyer didn't want him. Urban Meyer had to take him because he'd been a Trestle recruit. Urban Meyer didn't really want Cardale Jones. But Cardale Jones wouldn't go away. Cardale Jones wouldn't give up on his dream to be a Buckeye at all costs. And then look what happened. But there's absolutely a world where Cardale Jones never gets a chance to play. But he got to be a Buckeye. So I think they have to find quarterbacks like that. Five-star, national five-star, next year, three-star Ohio kid. 
I wrote about this in the thing. I think they have to find a way. They cannot have all these backup quarterbacks. And there's a difference between having a young quarterback that you expect to start someday and having a backup quarterback. And I think you can have both. But I don't think you can stack four classes of top 100 quarterbacks who all expect to play. It's not going to work. Somebody in that stack should be a guy who's not going to leave if he doesn't start, but who also can get the job done. All right. Let's get to some of these questions about quarterback specifically, okay? Uh, here's People are wondering about, okay, so who's going to be the new quarterback? This kid, Gunnar Hoke, officially announced that he's transferring from Kentucky. When the, when the Matthew Baldwin news came out, most people had Gunnar Hoke at the top of the list of potential transfers uh, because... He's from Dublin Kaufman. He's from the Columbus suburbs. And he had been talking about the idea of wanting to transfer from Kentucky. Now, officially, he's out. Officially, he's in the portal. He wants to leave. So I think he makes sense. But again, they're not... <laughs> whatever this is, they need a body in the room. They're not going to bring anybody in that they ever want to play. So their quarterback plan right now is Justin Fields to Jack Miller. Jack Miller's the 2020 recruit. The, whoever they're going to bring in... Should never play. So, let's keep that in mind. How many bonehead mistakes, not that I'm saying I could do better, but just mishandling of the quarterback position has happened at Ohio State? This is a fascinating question. It's been discussed before, but it's a good time to discuss it again. Because they have messed this up. Justin Zwick was not nearly as good as Troy. Joe Bosman was maybe the worst quarterback on the roster in your 14 years on the beat. Somehow the staff thought he was better than freshman Braxton. Jim Bowman was uh, for you there. Todd Beckman was clearly better than Pryor when Beanie Wells was healthy. Is it possible Tress had two bigger blunders than Urban at the quarterback position? Pryor over Beckman is bad, and so is Zwick over Troy. Troy, so that's one of the questions from one of our texters. And it is remarkable for all the success of Jim Tressel. And go back to... John Cooper not being able to figure out Stanley Jackson and Joe Germain on a team filled with talent and what that meant for the Michigan game and what and just the idea of like these guys oh the got the times that they couldn't get it right Jim Trestle could not get Justin Zwick Troy Smith right might have cost him that Vince Young game in 2005 Jim Trestle they had injuries on the offensive line with Todd Beckman in 2008. And the move to Terrell Pryor was in part because they, I think it was it, did Jim Cordell get hurt or Steve Raring? Gosh, I can't remember. Might have been Steve Raring got hurt. But they were moving guys around on the line and they just thought they needed a more mobile quarterback. But also, Trestle was raring to move to Pryor. But that was messy, right? That divided the team. It made the old guys mad. And it wasn't just that Trestle went from Beckman to Pryor, it's that he did it very inelegantly. And he told Beckman, the, the, the game that Pryor took over, Trestle told Beckman he was still going to play like Beckman didn't play at all. Very inelegant. Very inelegant. Luke Fickle was like certainly slow on the draw to play Braxton Miller as a true freshman who wasn't ready but was ready athletically. And Joe Bowserman, as we know, the Nebraska passing chart, I mean, just that was Braxton got hurt. But, you know, Urban Meyer, when Urban Meyer's doing TV for ESPN, he's saying, I'd play Braxton Miller, while the current coach, Luke Fickle, is not playing Braxton Miller. Not good, right? And then 2015, I think, is the greatest mistake of Urban Meyer's coaching career. 
They had a mini dynasty in the making. Ridiculous talent, as much talent as any college football team in the last 10 years. And they messed up 2015 with the play calling, but also by not being able to figure out a quarterback. Never will live that down. Has three national championships, should have four. And it's because when they lost that Michigan State game late in the year, JT Barrett had not been the starting quarterback for very long. And if they had figured that out and went to JT earlier, and probably should have gone to JT from week one, if they had figured that out earlier, their offense, the offensive coordinators would have had a better handle on the Michigan State game. JT would have played better, and they would have won that game and made the playoff and might have won the national championship. So they've been bad. So this is the chance like, to not be bad. Because the one thing is, last year, they did it right. Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, they did right. They had the spring competition. They picked the right guy. They made it clear to the other guy. That guy left. They were fine without him. Joe Burrow went to a great place and had great success. It worked out for Joe Burrow. It worked out for Dwayne Haskins. It worked out for Ohio State. But that's the exception. Messing up quarterback stuff is more the rule at Ohio State. For all these great coaches, they've messed that up. I don't think they messed this up. So the question is great to relive that. I don't know what they could have done differently. It's Fields' job. And I asked this on Twitter after all this happened. I said, would you rather have Justin Fields or would you rather have Matthew Baldwin, Tate Martell, and Emory Jones? Because Emory Jones, no, sorry, that's wrong. Would you rather have Matthew Baldwin, Tate Martell, and Dwan Mathis? Because Dwan Mathis flipped to Georgia after the word was out that Fields was transferring here. That was their recruit for the 2019 class. That's why they don't have a 2019 quarterback. So you basically, Justin Fields scared off Tate Martell and Dwan Mathis for sure. And then also, I think Baldwin had other reasons, but he's not here either. Who would you rather have? 75% of you said you'd rather have Justin Fields. I think it should be 100% of you. And you know my thoughts on Justin Fields. You know I don't think he's Dwayne Haskins. You know I don't think it's going to be perfect early. But you're taking a shot at a five-star guy. He's the can this guy beat Bama quarterback. And I like Tate. I think Tate might be good. Tate had a really bad practice in Ohio State spring game, but then came back, I think, in their spring game, actually, and had a much better day. I think Tate can be good. Who has the skill set and the size and the upside to beat Bama between Justin Fields and Tate Martell? No debate. Clearly Justin Fields. So I don't think Ohio State screwed this up. I actually think it makes things more clear. It just gives you no margin for error. There's a text question. Have you heard anything on Gunnar Hoke from Kentucky? Um, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy that everyone's talking about. Um, someone responding about. 2012 and 2013, and I think these are the best examples, are the years that scare me. Justin Fields basically can't miss a series. So, And there's another question that people uh, – you know what? It's in, an, it's in an email question. Let's get to some email questions now because those were the text responses to the thing I sent out about uh, – that I sent out this week detailing all the, the history of the second quarterback. Um, someone asked – now I can't find it. Basically, the idea is this. If Justin Fields is going to run, and he is going to run, are you any more worried then because there, if he gets injured, there's nobody behind him? And a lot of people will tell you that it's more dangerous in the pocket. That if somebody, if, if your tackle misses a block and a defensive end 
hits you from the blind side when you're not looking or a blitzing linebacker gets in there and you're planted and you don't feel it and you're not ready for it and you're not braced for it, that's as dangerous as anything else. Now, (laughs) on the other side of that, JT Barrett was running when he got hurt against Michigan in 2014. Uh, and we have seen Ohio State quarterbacks who do move get hurt. So oh, Urban Meyer was always tried to be very cognizant. He talked it. He didn't usually walk it, walk it. But they were always they talked a lot about not wanting to call too many runs for Braxton Miller and JT Barrett because of that. Because it's not just the one the 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 one hit injury that knocks you out for a month. It's the accumulation of hits. That just puts an unfair load on a quarterback that makes him less effective generally. He's sore. Um, maybe he has to miss a couple practices because he's recovering from a really physical game. You would prefer to not get a million hits on your quarterback, even if you're not necessarily worried about a single injury. But I don't think they can play that way. And we'll get into this. Jake and I talked about it. But the run game with Justin Fields is going to be a big part of this. So they cannot live in a world where they're not running Justin Fields because they don't have a backup quarterback. And, and that, like, I guess you can hedge a little bit, but not much. Because Justin Fields running is going to have to help you win. So I believe in that reality that, that you have some conflicting things here, which is a running quarterback and no backup, and you just have to live in that world. But that's the world you're in. And next year they won't be in that world because Jack Miller will be here in 2020 with Justin Fields as the starter, and and Jack Miller as a guy who you who you would have thought was going to redshirt. He probably won't redshirt now. He might be your backup quarterback coming in as the two. He is. What am I saying? Maybe he is as a true freshman. Jack Miller will be your backup quarterback, and they'll get him garbage time minutes because then he's going to start as a sophomore in 2021 when Justin Fields goes pro. But I don't think right now you can give in to worry about an injury. You've got to run the offense that you want to run, excuse me, and that offense includes Justin Fields running the ball. Here's the question. John Rinder, we're going to end with his questions, and I didn't take Twitter questions this week because we had so much of this podcast done uh, with the other interviews I have. But John Rinder sent a load of great uh, questions that we'll run through here. And then let me say this. I had talked about that maybe this podcast this week would be a recruiting roundup. That was before the Baldwin stuff happened. Clearly, we went, we needed to get into that. That was before I had the opportunity to sit down with Jake. So the plan for now, we're going to be clear of the draft, more removed from spring football. The plan for next week is Steven and Tim Bielek on here with a recruiting reset. So if you guys were looking for that, I apologize it's not this week, but I think we needed to do what we're doing right now. John Rinder said, with Matthew Baldwin's departure, does Justin Fields' playing style scare you as far as injury and depth are concerned? You know, it can't. And so many quarterbacks are on the move, and most of them don't get hurt. You know, J.K. Dobbins, most, of the, most guys who run with the ball don't get hurt. So sometimes they do, but I don't think it can scare you. Um, do you think guys like Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins are ready to be emotional leaders on the team? Or are they so? Are they more so leaders by action? If so, who are the guys that you've seen over the years who can get a player to put his head up when the team is struggling, or an individual makes a mistake? Uh, I think they have some guys like that. Let me think. I think um, I think Chase Young can be a guy like that, who can walk the bench and get guys to lift their head. I think Austin Mack can be a guy like that. 
Um, not a lot of guys on the offensive line, probably at this point, because they're so young. I'm not sure about Justin Fields there. I think Dobbins is a maybe. Uh, I think Malik Harrison, maybe. I don't know if he's that kind of guy. Um, I don't know if Baron Browning's that kind of guy. Jordan Fuller, I think, is that. Jordan Fuller, I think, will take a much heavier leadership role as a senior safety. Um, I think Okuda is growing into that a little bit. Um, but I also think I also think some of that, uh, a little of that goes a long way. And so, guys, if you do it naturally, that's great. Sometimes too much of the rah-rah stuff is overdone. So um, I think we need some of them to emerge. But I, I do think Chase Young is going to grow into that. I think Chase Young is going to grow into a lot of stuff. But I do think he is that. Uh, Justin Fields has a live arm. Question three from John. But absolutely is not a polished passer. Agree. Steven touched on something a few weeks back that we are seeing with uh, actual more actual receivers instead of the fastest guy in the field. Do you think that guys that know the routes and have more experience at receiver will help Fields more? Do you think Fields not being Haskins will waste their talents more? So um, I do think they, and again, Jake and I got into this, maybe go down the field more. I don't think they have quite a, a, a Paris-Campbell type. Um, that's going to turn three-yard passes into 80-yard passes. And Stephen wrote that that Ryan Day uh, is changing the receiver recruiting. And I actually disagree with that because it already changed. Um, and that's okay. You know, people have opinions on things. But there was a time, and Paris Campbell, so it's like if Paris Campbell's an example of a guy who was a running back in high school and was recruited to play receiver here and maybe is not the most polished receiver in the world, right? Well, he's a fifth-year guy. So like, we're, if we're talking about recruiting, um, that, was, that was five years ago. So I think when you look at the guys who are on the team now, look at their seniors. Austin Mack, because Bill Landis wrote this story when Austin Mack was recruited here, Austin Mack is a super polished receiver. Austin Mack came in here as a guy who had a high school receivers coach. He had a personal coach training him. So so that's nothing. This is not new. This is something that there was a time when they had maybe more speed guys. They're playing Jalen Marshall, right, at receiver when he's a high school quarterback and hadn't played the position here. Um, but Austin Mack, true polished receiver. Ben Victor, always a big receiver. And if we're talking about the H-backs, the H-backs under Urban Meyer are always a little different anyway. So like Demario McCall's gone back and forth between H and running back. He's at running back now. But again, what you're looking for there is a little bit different. When they turned Jalen Marshall from a high school quarterback into an outside receiver, that was a little something different, right? But they've been on this path. Trayvon Grimes, who's not here anymore, absolutely polished receiver who was a big time get for them in uh the class of 2017 so mac victor chris olave is that garrett wilson is that garrett wilson's kind of the impetus for like oh they're doing this now but they you know they've they've been doing it kj hill is not a, a speed burner kj hill is a guy who's all about hands so you know, th this is something that they've been trending toward for several years, that there was a time um, when they sort of had more speed guys than anything else. And so we know Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon ran really fast 40 times at the Combine. 
last year. But this transformation is not a recent transformation. It's actually been going on for several years, and it started with the guys who are seniors right now. So um, I think Fields, in terms of how Fields will use them, I think Fields can throw down the field and use those guys. And when you see Garrett Wilson go up and get that pass in the spring game, I think Chris Olave can go get some balls. I think Justin Fields can give guys a shot to go get some balls. And I think um, he may not be as good with touch passes, but I think if you want to go deep and let guys go up and make plays, they have some receivers who can do that. Because deep ball stuff is not only about speed. It's about guys who can, who have body control and can go up and make a play. And I actually think they, they probably have multiple guys right now uh, who can do that because they do almost top to bottom. It's more of a polished receiver guy, maybe a speed guy like Jalen Gillett H., um, but a lot more polished guys throughout this roster. A lot of fans are critical saying that uh, field who would want someone that didn't want that didn't win their previous job. I don't agree with this. Um, it's completely ridiculous. Isn't it obvious why he would want to work with a quarterback guru as a head coach? Even if Haskins was still here, I still think Fields would have transferred to a different school to help his development. Um, yeah, Fields was leaving Georgia, but he wouldn't be here if Dwayne Haskins was here. He wants to play. So Justin Fields was going to go to the best school where he could play. And Ohio State was that. Um, my only, uh, my, and I tweeted this, and a lot of people retweeted it, and some people didn't like it. But I tweeted this week, like, if you have a, pl- a problem with Ohio State quarterbacks transferring, keep in mind that Ohio State is not going to have a quarterback on its 2019 roster that started his career at Ohio State. Justin Fields started at Georgia, Chris Chuganoff started at West Virginia, and this guy they bring in is from coming from somewhere else. So it's just hypocritical to me to criticize any of the Ohio State quarterbacks for transferring and act like transferring is some kind of thing of like, if you didn't want to be here, the heck with you, or if you're afraid of, afraid of competition, the heck with you, because all the guys who are here now didn't want to be at the place they were at previously. And so there is not an automatic negative connotation to transferring. It's a personal decision. Sometimes it's about playing time. Sometimes it's about other stuff. It is an individual decision for these guys who have one shot at this. So all I'm saying is, like, just realize if you're going to be the kind of person that rips kids for transferring, you are rooting for kids who transferred at the most important position on Ohio State's roster. And, like, if your position is, like, well, if they're a Buckeye, I love them. And if they're not, the heck with them. Then, like, okay, like, that's not very – I get it. You're a fan. You can do whatever you want. But it's, like, you know, it's not a very nuanced position that's kind of putting blinders on to how the world works. So that's all. Um, John is really running through it. Do we see the second-best recruiting classes for two years dominate now? Or are, we, or are we going to see kids with a ton of potential learning the hard way um, this year on dealing with adversity? So the 17 and 18 classes, again – in their third year and in their second year, um, I think they have guys who are ready to win. I think the bounce of the ball could go the other way. And we're going to get the John's last question is about the schedule, and we're going to get into it um, in, in later podcasts all summer. I'm just telling you, I do think the schedule, despite not having a gigantic national opponent, has just a tough run when you have Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern. As the teams from the other division, there's not a lot of breathers in there. Maryland, I think, is going to be better. Maryland almost beat Ohio State last year. Like, there's just not a lot of breathers, and I think this could be the kind of season where there's a cumulative effect of stuff. So, um, but bottom line, 
for the quarterbacks is don't panic. And like, if Justin Fields gets hurt, you just gotta like shrug your shoulders. Like, what are you gonna do? Cause you'd take this. The 75% of people should have been higher. You'd take this. I think Tate could be good. I think if Tate and Baldwin were here, you would have had a good competition. I believed in that. I think you could win with them. Could you win a national championship with those guys? I think you have a better chance with Justin Fields on the upside of Justin Fields. I also don't think Justin Fields is going to set the world on fire right away in 2019. So think about subscribing to Project Text. Be ready next week for our recruiting podcast. We will do it next week. And let's get ready now. I want to lead into this a little bit. Jasmine Gordon um, is someone, again, who I noticed this on Twitter. And we're going to intro, we're going to get into my conversation with with Jasmine, who is a big Ohio State fan, and her son. But let me first read to you uh, her Twitter post that, that sort of brought her to my attention. So this is from January 2nd, from Jasmine Gordon. My son, Tylen Gordon, absolutely loves the Ohio State football team, so much so that his main birthday wish was to meet them. He didn't get to do so, but he still lives and breathes Ohio State. He's always been a fan, but this year he actually looked up to and truly admired a few of them. This is a tweet storm. This year he took interest in a few of the actual players instead of the entire team. The only person outside of family he's truly admired is LeBron James. But now he constantly talks about Paris Campbell, Johnny Dixon, K.J. Hill, Mike Weber, Dwayne Haskins, Tate Martell, Terry McLaurin. Again, this is back from January. When I say constantly, I mean like all the time. J.K. Dobbins is his screensaver on his phone. And he's always saying how beastie Chase Young and Robert Landers are. Last year, he got above the line because of his love for Urban Meyer. That's one of the Urban Meyer books. I said all of this to say I couldn't be more proud because although I do not personally know these young men, they are setting positive examples. The things my son admires about them goes beyond the football field. He talks about how Coach Meyer is more than a coach. He raves about their community service, how it's cool that Johnny Dixon and Mike Weber also do photography, how Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon finish school, how he doesn't hear about any of them in trouble because he follows them all on social media. He's always going on about how K.J. Hill never drops a pass and how much swag they all have. He has loved Tate Marcel since... Tate Martell since the QB1 show, and he says Dwayne Haskins stuck with his childhood dream. He, he has said more about each respective player, but he truly admires all you guys. I just want to tell you all, thank you for the images you set. Amazing job at setting a positive image for my son. He himself is an awesome kid, and I'm proud he chooses to look up to you great young men as well. Keep not only making a difference, but being the difference. Sincerely, a grateful mom of a Buckeye kid. So I'm not sure how I came across that, but I it just, I thought it was something. And it's very easy for people like me, for journalists, for some fans to be cynical about this stuff. And, you know, sometimes stuff with the NCAA and, and college sports or whatever, there's a lot of stuff that it's very easy to be cynical about, just the way stuff is set up. But I thought it was a, a nice reminder um, that there are people and kids who love these guys. And there are a lot of good guys on this team. And a lot of them are leaving. Paris and Johnny and Terry are three of the best guys you're ever going to meet. Uh, Mike Weber, uh, Draymond Jones, Dwayne Haskins. 
the guys in this draft, Nick Bose is a good guy. Like, they're just good guys. And so this is Jasmine Gordon and her son Tylen sort of talking to me um, about what these Buckeyes have meant to them. And then we'll get to Jake Burns. Jasmine, can you just maybe give people a baseline of um, what, what you and your son have thought about some of these Buckeyes and maybe um, what they've sort of meant to your family? Most definitely. Um, thank you for having us again, Doug. Um, so my son really admires Co- Coach Meyer to begin with. He talks about how he takes these boys and he embraces, embraces them as family and not just as a coach. Um, a couple of years ago, he became very fascinated with Paris Campbell, Johnny Dixon, um, Jerome Baker, um, Mike Weber, and I'm sure there's a few more, Dwayne Haskins, and he talks about how these guys, how he really looks up to them, not just because of what they do on the field, but he talks about the photography that Johnny Dixon and Mike Weber does. He talks about how um, Paris Campbell, you know, goes to schools and he's talking to kids and he's impacting them. He just talks about the positive things that they do off the field. He follows them all on social media, um, and some of the things that they post are really positive posts, and he's always like, Mom, look at this, look at this. And it's just, it means a lot to me as a single mom because he has these positive images that he can look up to and aspire to be after, not just um, athletically, but academically. You know, they're graduating college, and now they are going to the next chapter of their lives. You know, they are making positive impacts and children who don't always have that male image to look up to. And I just really appreciate them for that. So I just thought it was interesting, again, when that social media post you put up a while ago. There's a lot of Ohio State fans out there, but I, I do think um, it's worth remembering that that these guys, you know, really can have an impact. You honestly feel like these players, and I'll tell you, haven't covered these guys, this is a great group of guys, all the players you mentioned Really good guys on and off the field, but they you see them having a tangible impact on your thirteen year old son, not just as football players but how they conduct themselves exactly you know um my son hasn't always he's very artistic, he plays football as well, but he has other interests, and sometimes he's been afraid to kind of hone in on those interests because he's a young african American male, and he feels he should just be geared towards football. And looking at Mike Weber and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon, it's allowed him to embrace the violin, which he's really good at, and embrace his singing that he's really good at because he knows that he doesn't have to be one one way. He can be multifaceted and embrace all of who he is. Um, I know one of the things he's always watching Paris Campbell's and Dwayne Haskins' highlights, and the one that he's watched over and over again is um, – the Dwayne Haskins interview going from when he was younger and it fast forward into who he is now. He watches that so many times and he just talks about mom. That's going to be me. You know, he declared who he was at that young age and he followed after it. He said, mom, you don't see a lot of people who do that. And for my son at 
like I said, this started a couple of years ago. So even at 13, for him to have that mindset to go after what you want and to be free to be successful and not always have to be the in crowd, that means a lot to me. Because as a mom, sometimes, you know, your kid says, oh, you're my mom, you're supposed to feel that way. But when he sees people who look like him who have gone after that dream, you know, it really inspires him. And that just makes my heart warm as a mom. And when I posted that post, I was really... It was really heartfelt because I really miss it because the conversation him and I had that night, it was just like, wow, he doesn't know these boys and they are really impacting him, like having a profound impact on him. Jasmine, let's bring in Tylen and let, and let him talk about this. Your words, I, I think, are really carrying a lot of weight here. I'd love to hear from your son. So let's get Tylen on the phone. Sure. Hey, Doug. Hey, Tylen, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking time out of your day. So tell me in your words why why some of these Ohio State football players have really seemed to connect with you and that you seem to have sort of an admiration for them, not just as football players, but something else. Why do you think that happened? Mainly because they're, they are true to who they are. And like my mom said, I just admire how they carry themselves and how they've come this far and they've overcame the stereotype of the black male. Does it give you sort of a confidence in yourself that if you see them doing it, it makes you think, yeah, I can do this too? Yes, it does. Um, Especially with how um, I didn't really used to like football, but when I started really liking Ohio State, watching them it made me feel like okay well maybe I can carry myself and drive myself like they do on the field right your mom said you guys saw Johnny Dixon a couple weeks ago did you get a chance to talk to him yes um how was it we we saw him at the bowling alley um and I saw him and I was like mom is that Johnny Dixon she was like yeah that actually is and I was like can I go over there and like she said, she said, don't go over there and bother him, let him. And I went over there anyway because I just wanted to, I wanted to take a picture of him and um, just talk to him a little bit. So if you had a chance, if you could just say to, to Johnny or Paris or Dwayne or Mike or Jerome or some of these other guys, if you just had a moment to say to them, like maybe thank them or explain to them how you feel about this. What would your be? What would be your message to them of of why their example has been important to you? I would just want to say that I thank them for setting an example for me and being a role model for me um, as I'm playing football and academically. And thank you for being great African-American men. And I want to think of all of them as big brothers. All right, Tylen. So so tell me then, how would you like your life to unfold? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What would you like to pursue? What do you sort of see as your future? So I do, one of the things that I really would like to do is become a surgeon. But I am aiming high for the college that I want to go to, like Howard or Yale. And if not, then I will be attending the Ohio State University. Um, Oh, man. Surgeon? Are you good at math and science? Yes. Wow. 
That is inspiring, Tylan. That is inspiring to hear a seventh grader talking about wanting to be a surgeon. That is fantastic to have that kind of goal. I'm sure you can do it. Tylan, thank you for taking time to sort of explain this. I think it's a nice reminder for everyone to uh, to understand that it does matter. Um, it matters to people how these guys conduct their business, not just whether they win or lose games. And that you know they're they're only in college themselves, but they can have an effect on people um, off the football field. So, Tylan, thanks so much for your help, and best of luck to you. Uh, thank you, but can I say one more thing? Absolutely. One thing that I do want to talk about is how close they are in their brotherhood. And it helps me to see that the people on the field that I play with, that we can create a bond and a brotherhood and a brotherly love. Tylan, great talking to you. Great talking to you too, Doug. So thanks to Jasmine and Tylan for that. And it's funny, just as a parent, you know how this stuff works. Jasmine sent me a message after the interview and said that, that Tylan was kind of upset that he forgot to say some of the stuff he wanted to say. And so um, I thought he made some really good points that mattered, but she sent this to me and I told them that, that I would include this. Uh, Tylan said this, Mom, I didn't get to say the real stuff I wanted to talk about. I was so nervous, it's like my mind went blank. I didn't get to talk about people making fun of me and how their be different and be great mottos helped me. The fact they are truth are true to themselves has boosted my confidence. Mom, I didn't talk about any of the important stuff. How did I forget all of that? That was the entire purpose. How they helped me to be me no matter what, no matter who approves, to be me and go after my dreams without remorse. Mom, how did I forget all of that? So listen, um, you didn't forget it, Tylan. We got um, the message across. Um, I thought to, for for him to say, I didn't get to talk about, oh, I, I missed this in this thing. This is the most important sentence, and I, I apologize, I missed the line. I didn't get to talk about people making fun of me and how their be different and be great mottos help me. So that's, that's a teenager saying, when people made fun of him, he got inspiration from Ohio State football players. So that's your football team. And I think that was a message worth sharing. So again, thanks to Jasmine and Tylan for doing that. This is also worth sharing. My friend Jake Burns, great X and O stuff. Um, we're going to dig in on the Buckeyes and this offense, what we learned, interesting stuff about the passing game, the run game. This is me and Jake digging into this for an hour. We'll be back to say goodbye after we're done with Jake. All right, here with Jake Burns on Buckeye Talk. Jake and I uh, are... Recording this on Tuesday, we're in Cleveland for our Browns and Ohio State draft preview show, and Jake and I drove up together from Columbus, and we are now best friends. <laughs> I can't deny it. I'm like 15 years older than you, but Jake, I think there's something special here. He's uncomfortable. I'm making him uncomfortable. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm in agreement. He's I'm like, he's like uh, I already have a lot of friends. <laughs> no, I don't know what's wrong with you. I have no friends. All right, so the reason we're going to talk about uh, some of the stuff with Jake is because Jake came to the spring game, and Jake wrote an X and O breakdown for us of, uh, of the, uh, a Ryan, the Ryan Day offense, and I just think there's a lot of interest with this. So before we get into this, for people um, maybe on the Ohio State side of things, Jake, who... Haven't read all of your work. You've been doing great work on the Browns for us at Cleveland.com. You've been doing great work on the Browns with uh, the Orange and Brown Report, right? Mm -hmm. Right thing. Mm -hmm. um, what's your background? 
Have you played football before? Yeah. Wow. So, oh. I have played football. I played I played in high school, obviously well, middle school, but he believed ball. I played football for a long time. I was involved with it. Through college, I, uh, I I played at a small school called Marion Pleasant and then played over at Muskingum where I spent time as a quarterback. I uh, was lucky enough to start for three years there and then coached for a while. When I was done um, at the collegiate level, high school level, I did a little GA stuff and then ran it off into the at the high school level. So I've done some different stuff and then um, you know went through a sort of a career change and then wanted to still be involved in football. Noticed that nobody was really doing X's and O's on the Browns, so I took that up. God, that was the one sixteen year, two years ago. Jumped in at the right time now. Um, so yeah, I did that for a year, just X and O game breakdown stuff on the on the on the Twitter side, and then the right people saw that this was informative and could help people understand. My goal was always to uh, provide, I guess, water cooler talk for people, right? Yeah. Just like sort of can discuss. This is, hey man, uh, you're actually blaming the wrong person on this. This is actually what happened. That that. Who, what, when, where, why of football that I think misses a lot of people. That's the goal. That was the goal then. Kind of remains the goal now. So I do. Um, really heavy offensive background. I've tried to learn as much defensive stuff as I can go. I, you learn a lot of it playing quarterback because you have to be able to just, you know decipher what's the coverage, why are they playing that coverage, what's the front, what is this front called, different things about defense. But sort of getting into the defensive coordinator's shoes and thinking about why they attack offensive certain ways. So... I'm evolving. I'm trying to get better. There's, there's never enough. Aren't we all? Yes. Aren't we all, Jake Burns? There's never enough about football um, that you can be satisfied with knowing. There's always learning. There's smart people that you can find on Twitter. That's the good thing is that nowadays enough smart people are writing about it. Former coaches, former scouts, former um, you know people involved heavily in the game are writing about it. And you can always learn. And that's what I try to do. And uh, you know, pass it along to the Browns and a little bit of Ohio State here and there too. So just, again, to recap real quick, uh, I played high school golf and tennis. Okay, so moving on. Um, Jake, you and I were talking about a lot of things on the drive up here, but we want to delve into what this Ryan Day offense is going to look like and, and what you gleaned from the spring game. And one of the things you talked about in the car that was so interesting is the idea that there was a time when people ran a certain style of offense. You ran the West Coast offense. You ran the triple option. You ran um, you know, a, a, a power run game. And that's not really the case anymore, that, that everybody is sort of an amalgamation of a lot of different things. So let's get specific on that right away. When you look at the Ryan Day offense, would you de- how would you describe it? Or if it's, a, if it's different pieces of a lot of different things, mm-hmm. what are the primary pieces that go into making what is going to be the Ryan Day offense now? I'm going to add another caveat to this, mm-hmm. which is the idea that I think – that what the Ryan Day offense we're going to see in the fall and maybe that we saw in the spring is going to be different than the Urban Meyer offense but because before, Ryan Day for the last two years was calling the Urban Meyer offense. And if Urban Meyer said it once, he said it a thousand times, this is the Ohio State offense. No offensive coordinator is going to come in here and get to change this, right? So I'm, I'm interested in the potential evolution of what Ryan Day wants to do now that he's totally in charge. But from what you saw in the spring, how would you describe it? Great. I mean, that's a lot. That's a good question. So that's kind of what I do, yeah, Jake. Is ask nine <laughs> questions in one, leading so, to an impossible answer. I'll give a thirty-minute answer. So, um, I, I tried to explain this, to Doug. I'll try to put this in the best way I can. I think that a long time ago, and I, I say a long time ago, like twenty, thirty years ago, even even ten years ago when I was in high school, I think this was even still sort of remained true. Your your offense was an identity that you sort of 
brought players in to play your style, whether that's triple option, whether that was somebody like Texas Tech and Kentucky under the air raid offenses, that air raid you hear so much about, or a West Coast scheme um, that, that grew popular out under um, Bill Walsh, or whatever the scheme is that you've heard of, they they used to be sort of rigid and, and you would fit into that system. These days it seems you are able to bring all of those, not all of those necessarily, like you wouldn't see a triple option team that brings air raid principles into their offense. That's right. But if it's a it's a close style, you're seeing a melting pot of schemes these days. So, for example, what I really liked about Ryan Day is his first year play calling was with a different type of quarterback than Dwayne Haskins. So he brought in more triple option, power gun type of schemes for JT for the personnel that they had because JT can't make those throws that you might ask a West Coast or a an air raid quarterback to make um, all of the time and it, it, with as much success as Dwayne did. So he changed. Ryan Day sort of started to shift away from that and toward more West Coast stuff when he had Dwayne last year because that's the quarterback he had that could fit the system. And quarterbacks have evolved too. So like quarterbacks used to be they were a product of what their high school ran. And high schools ran... 75% run stuff. Even the, the better quarterbacks at the high school level were handing the ball off uh, in an inordinate amount of times because that's that's what the system of high school co- coaches do. And when I was playing, it was very rare that you would see a shotgun, five wide, or even two by two, three by one, four wide receiver look. It was very rare. You didn't see it as much. So these days, if you travel around and watch just Ohio high school football or even national-based stuff, you see more, uh, I would say more, at least a denser idea of we want to throw the football around and get our athletes in space, and that is leading to more spread teams, uh, you know, throwing the football around more often. You see less. Like when I was playing, you would you would face a team that was a spread team. You'd have to prepare. You change your whole defense. Now you say we play a team that's triple option, or we play a team that's a wing T football team, and it's like now we got to change our whole defense to fit what these guys do. That's the rare thing that you see, and it's sort of changed. So quarterbacks are coming into college with a better understanding of schemes, a better understanding of what defenses do, pass coverages. So you have less of a learning curve. So you have somebody like um, Dwayne Haskins who gets his first year starting, he throws 50 touchdowns in the Big Ten, and you're like, this doesn't happen. It doesn't happen from a historical standpoint, but it doesn't happen from um, you know a quarterback in the Big Ten performing this well in general. 20 years now, right, we're talking about. So um, just it's an evolution of this is less structure that is rigid to West Coast or structure that's rigid, rigid to – Air raid or the air Coriel system, and it's more all of these things can be you know meshed into one because we have a quarterback that can do this and this, and let's fit our offense to what the quarterback can do and what he can get you know do to make our offense better. So it's quarterbacks coming into college football more prepared. It's um, you know a meshing of systems because quarterbacks have a better understanding and can learn these things quicker, more on the fly. And you have skill position players, wide receivers, running backs too, who are doing this stuff in high school. So it's not foreign to them to learn a, a whole different route tree instead of just running straight downfield. So, so well, the one yeah. thing we have heard a lot is that uh, that uh, Ohio State quarterbacks saying it takes a year to learn this Ryan Day system. But I think one of the po- interesting points you're making is a kid like Justin Fields is probably so prepared mm-hmm. from high school. He's been thinking this way that I think sometimes a fan might hear, oh, it takes a, a year to learn this system, or a quarterback say, it's an NFL-style system. Both Tate Martell and Dwayne Haskins have said that. It, it, I think it's an important point to make. Justin Fields can probably handle that because they're smarter than guys were 10 or 15 years ago. And I think the point that we're getting to specifically with Ohio State is 
people know Ryan Day had Chip Kelly as his mentor. They know that he's worked for Urban Meyer for two years. They know he was in the NFL for two years. Mm-hmm. And the end result of that is going to be a mishmash. Yeah, no, I, I think that if you – I would urge anybody that can to go back and watch QB1. QB1 was a production put out um, on Netflix, and that has Justin Fields. It tracks his senior year. You can get a feel for all of the different things his, his high school there in Georgia, Harrison, asked him to do, which was – a ton of different things, a ton of running responsibilities, but a ton of throwing responsibilities too. And it comes very natural to him. Like the football talk stuff, you you wouldn't put the top quarterback in 1997 on a whiteboard against 2017 Justin Fields. It would be just night and day in terms of what they know, how they can decipher coverages, how they can decipher defenses. And that's where we're at. You know, you can, as a quarterback in high school, I could get on the internet and look up a cover two tutorial video and figure out what the heck that means in two minutes. You couldn't do that 10 years ago. And, and let me say in a specific example, the one time I went and watched Terrell Pryor play high school football, they snapped the ball to Terrell Pryor and he ran. Yeah. And so to me, the idea of, okay, Terrell Pryor was thrown in at the college level as a true freshman. A decade later, mm-hmm. Justin Fields played some as a true freshman at Georgia. He's now going to take over the starting quarterback as a true sophomore at Ohio State. That's a direct comparison, a 10-year difference. Yep. Justin Fields being prepared for this versus Terrell Pryor, for my, again, Golf and tennis in high school. <laughs> From my eye, night and day. Yeah, and I think that you got to look at what did Jim Bowman ask Terrell Pryor to do, which was get under center in the eye formation and do very simple things, half-field reads. I would guarantee that Terrell Pryor didn't get whole-field progression-based reads. At, what was it, Juliet he played at in Pennsylvania? Something like that. I, I just, Jeanette. 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 Nice. Um, yeah, I just don't think those are things he was doing at the high school level while you have kids these days, the top quarterbacks are all ushered into the Elite 11 camps. They get to meet Trent Dilfer. They get to get up on a whiteboard and draw things up. And they're getting exposure to things they've never had before. They, 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 I shouldn't say they. The guys before them 10 years yeah. ago never had before. So they are coming in. Yes, and even Justin Fields has admitted as much that it's a big playbook. It's a lot to learn. But it's not something that he has to learn every single nuance of playing quarterback and totally change his thought process while, like Doug said, Terrell Pryor was snapping the ball, give him one read, and let him play. Let him be yep. an athlete. This is a different thing. He knows, Justin Fields knows, you can't do that and get to the NFL. There are layers to this thing that you have to be able to understand to get to the NFL. And I think that is what Fields, or sorry, that is what Ryan Day did a fantastic job of with Dwayne Haskins. He looked at his player profile. We cannot run triple option. We cannot run power read with him. That's not going to work for us. How can we get Paris the ball in space? How can we get Terry McLaurin involved, K.J. Hill involved, all of these other weapons we have, Mike Weber involved? Let's get as many intermediate short routes where Dwayne has excellent, excellent accuracy to get a guy a chance to run after the catch. Let's get those guys involved. Let's get them the ball in space. Let's use our screen game actively. Let's get Dwayne then opportunities to push the ball downfield off of those things. That's how we use our quarterback best. We tailor our offense to his skill set instead of saying, Dwayne, do what JT did. It's not going to work. Now, I think this year, and you're talking about what I saw in the spring game, you're going to see some of those things again. You're going to see now a mesh of, and I'm sure Ryan Day pitched and built his structure to Justin Fields the same way. We want to do some of those NFL quarterback things that we know you can do like Dwayne did because you have a gifted arm. But we also know you're a fantastic athlete, and that's another level to offensive success that we think we can add with you. Let's run what we saw in the spring game, just true, simple, read option, tight end, which is called Y-lead read option. They ran for a touchdown there in the goal line. And let's run power read, which he busted a play back out the backside of that uh, system. He'll be good at those things. He can do all of those things. And you really, if you watch his type of quarterback in the NFL, Cam Newton is a good prototype. 
they do power read stuff. They do they do that. No, and so that's the it's thing. thing. It's it's all there. And, and it's there was a time when there was a great divide between an NFL style of play and a college style of play, and everybody knows that that divide is not nearly as wide as it used to be. And um, as as much as like the NFL is is the top of the mountain, it does. You can see the impact that college football has had on the NFL and some of the things they're adopting and some of these things. But that's uh, I want to get into like the nitty 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 nitty. Mm-hmm. Gritty. Gritty of the Ryan Day offense. So let me ask one thing. This is a I'm going to use a naughty word. Cover your ears. Cover your children's ears. RPO. Mm-hmm. So last year it was again. It was like it's like uh, we were talking about we were talking about a thing in the car that I said it was like they were talking about uh, a hydrogen bomb. What was the thing I was talking about that I said that was like they made it super complex. Because this they made super complex last year. The RPO stuff, right? They had to run RPO because Dwayne Haskins was not a run threat. Sure. So they had to have some kind of something off of the handoff to, to hold the defense at bay. Put and they, somebody in conflict. They, yeah. yeah, conflict. It's a good word. Yeah. So they, they ended up throwing these quick screen passes mm-hmm. to the receiver as the second option on that instead of the run. And and you had everybody runs RPOs. It puts the some stress on the offensive line, whether they're run block, blocking or they're pass blocking. And the offensive line last year for Ohio State hated it. Greg Studrawa, the offensive line coach, hated it. They complained about it all the time. They made it seem like the worst thing in the world. Even though everybody was doing it, they hated it here. So I don't think they ran any RPOs in the spring game. They did. I didn't see it. Okay, good. Yeah. See, a, a lot of it, again, as a golf and tennis player, sometimes I wonder <laughs> if I'm missing something that the high school quarterbacks are, and the college quarterbacks are catching. Yeah. That, it, uh, they just don't need to, right? So in that, because they got away from that in the second half of last year just yeah. because it was driving everybody crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think they weren't running it or throw. they really weren't running it the way they wanted to run it because they were leaning on that so much. They weren't running enough straight handoffs. I think that the zone, the, the quarterback zone read, mm-hmm. totally back. Mm-hmm. But they don't. So if that's back with Justin Fields as a run threat, do you just not need RPO? Or in an ideal world, would you still have some of that in there? Yeah. So all of all of the option when you rather you label it read option, power read option, RPO, run pass option, it is about the option part is putting one player unblocked in conflict, meaning. We're not going to block that guy. You have to make a read off of his reaction to what is going on in front of him. So you're doing it to balance out numbers. Traditionally, quarterbacks' offenses were playing 10 against 11 because the quarterback is sort of null. He's just sort of there. He's handing the ball off in run games. So it's were you null when you played? Were you null most of the time? I ran a lot. I was very slow. But I could shift. I could shift a little Ooh, bit. Yeah. This, a was wiggle. A, this is a few few pounds ago. Jake but I could got a wiggle. Yeah. So we did some option stuff, but... The thing that is difficult for the situation when you don't have a quarterback that can run, like you said, is you're making linemen sort of hesitate a little bit. Yep. And that hesitation is a sort of frame of mind that you have to get out of. It's easy to say, we'll just do it and it'll work. But it's those guys that were there, those guys that have been playing for so long, become accustomed to playing the way JT plays, the way even they use Cardale at times. And it's getting downhill, it's getting to the second level, and it's not ever having to worry about, well, this ball was thrown laterally or this ball was thrown on the quick. So it's a big adjustment. And maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. I give Ryan Day credit that they got away from it because a lot of coaches would just say, this is what we're doing and we're going to do it and you're just going to suck it up and we're going to get better. But if it's not working to be able to adjust in season, that's that's great to see. But getting back to where they'll be this year, I'm not saying you won't see it because sometimes – there are run pass options that are pre snap, meaning if this outside linebacker is inside the hash mark, we're going to throw it. 
If he's if he's outside, we're just going to run it. And you can make a call. You can make a quick Roger Louie. You can make calls at the line of scrimmage that tells them what they're doing. Or you can just sort of run it that way. But the at least the offensive linemen know, hey, I can see this Will Backer is lined up outside the box. We're going to clearly run the football in here. So there's less indecisiveness there. Um, and I don't think, yeah, like I don't think we're going to see true RPO stuff as much as we saw last year. At least, like you said, the start of last year. They might try to sprinkle some in if it's advantageous for a game plan. But I do think they want to run Justin now with Matthew Baldwin's transfer and what's going on. I think I see guy, the Kentucky kid, Dublin boy. What's his name? Gunner Hoke. Hoke. Yes, he is, is officially transferring. Um, I would think Dublin he wants to maybe come back. Anyway, you don't want to put. I, I DM'd him. I DM'd him. I slid right into those DMs. He hasn't gotten back to me. Yeah. Right now. Due time. Due we'll time. Go, what else is new? Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Well, well, I would imagine. I think that they didn't have any problem putting him into. The, the, the gun barrel and letting him take hits, but maybe now they, they gear that back a little bit because they see a stark drop-off between one and two. So I don't know. They would be silly not to run him. I think yeah, he's a he's durable kid. He's a big kid. And, um, and I've talked about him multiple yeah. times, and I'm gonna, I am gonna still have a Justin Fields story I'm going to write next week. Um, he likes it. Yeah. He knows he's good at it. He's, he's good at the read part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in addition, once he decides to keep, he can do some stuff with the ball. Mm-hmm. He's very comfortable Making that read, which not every quarterback in the world is comfortable making that read. No, like the, I will say too, and I, I broke this one down. If you have a chance to look at it, power read is it's fun. It's it's if you see the quarterback working laterally down the line of scrimmage, that's what's called power read. So they're without being able to draw it up in front of you. If you can get on and look at this, but they read the play side in. So if I'm the quarterback and I'm shuffling right, he's reading that right defensive end. The quarterback is meshing with the running back in front of him, running literally laterally to him, and is trying to win outside. If the quarterback thinks he can win outside, he's going to give the ball to his running back, and they're going to go to the perimeter. If the defensive end plays upfield, he is going to pull that football and follow his pulling guard. That's why it's called power. Power is a scheme where you block everybody blocks down, and you pull the backside guard for the play side inside linebacker. You're going to follow that guard up and through. I got a hole here because the defensive end stepped outside and the following, but Fields is comfortable, and where you saw that comfort in the spring game, he pulled it, but the backside linebackers flowed over top, and he weaved it all the way back mm. to the left and broke it for about 15 yards. Could have got more, but it's touch at that point. So he's comfortable reading that play that pops anywhere from tackle to tackle. It could literally could pop anywhere. He's comfortable reading that. He showed that comfort. He pulled another ball on just a, tr- a simple read option. Last second pull wins the perimeter. He's got enough. He's not a blazer. Like I would have bet he's a 4-6 guy maybe. Yeah, I actually thought – one of the, my takeaways was he was a little bit slower yeah. than I thought. I he's, mean, he's definitely not Braxton, he, he's which very is okay. Much cam, he's very much Cam to me. Like, his his quarterback comparison is Cam to me. Cam's not a – Cam Newton. Yes. Might Cam know. Newton, yes. Used to play for Urban Meyer at one time. Big smile. Anyway, um, yeah, he, he can he – can, he gets to his top speed quick, which is important. He gets out and gets going quick. He's not going to run away from people who have an angle on him. He's not going to raise angles. And Cam – Sort of did, but you know, I would think if they got the most out of him, it would be a very similar twenty-five to three thousand yards passing and a thousand-yard runner like that. That's his ceiling to me. I think that is a first overall pick quarterback. So that's a thing. Like that's that's a that's a a thing that you can follow into the NFL if you thought. And Cam Newton was not a great thrower of the football, and it is sort of parlayed itself into the NFL where we've seen him struggle. He had an MVP season. He's done some things, but he is not Baker Mayfield. 
Aaron Rodgers type thrower of the football. He doesn't take a trained mind to see that there are things he struggles with. But if you structure his offense the way I imagine Ryan Day will structure it, you get to the NFL and you structure that offense in a similar way with good backs and good slot receivers, you got something there. And that's a quarterback you can build around for a long time. So that to me, if he sat down, if Coach Day sat down with uh, Justin Fields in a recruiting session, it would be, here's what I did for Dwayne. Here's what we worked together to get him where he is. A first 15 pick quarterback could be even higher. This is what I think I can do for you, too, because the path now is not I want to start for these guys who come in as the number one recruit in the country. It's how do you get me to the NFL. And, and Justin Fields has been very upfront about that. Yes. He did not come to Ohio State because he thinks he looks good in scarlet and gray. He came to Ohio State because he thinks Ryan Day can get him to the NFL. All right, we're going to get into Dwayne Haskins if we have time in a minute, but I want to delve more into this Ohio State offense, and I'm going to break it down sort of like a layman's term, and, and I know – this maybe isn't how you would break it down, Jake, but I think it might be help our, our listeners process it. Let's just talk about short passing, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's bubble screens to the receivers, whether it's some short crossing routes in the middle of the field. One of the things I feel like that has popped up with Dwayne Haskins is a lot of draft analysts pointing out, hey, he got a lot of he made a lot of money mm-hmm. on very short throws that guys Paris Campbell turned a three yard pass into an eighty yard game. And and my response to that has always been like, Yeah. Like, of course, why wouldn't you take that? If you want to get the ball 70 yards down the field, you could throw it 70 yards in the air, or you could throw it three yards and let Paris Campbell run the other 67. Why wouldn't you do that? In terms of Ryan Day scheming, game planning, what he wants to do from that standpoint, mm-hmm. how, how would you describe that ability of the Ohio State offense, how much will it still be there? How important is that to the Ryan Day scheme of things to get those quick, short, easy throws for a quarterback that either might get you just five five yards, right? Or maybe could also pop. How does Ryan Day do that? Yeah, I think you'll hear a lot of offensive coordinators talk about numbers, um, angles, and space, grass. Like they want to put their best athletes into as much grass as possible to let them make people miss. Now, they had some special guys at that last year. One of them, two of them, I think, will get drafted relatively highly, maybe the first three rounds. Um, So like you said, to kind of piggyback on your point, they would be absolutely asinine not to put the ball in Paris Campbell's hands two yards from the – it's safe, it's easy. I know this guy can then take this shallow cross and turn it into 80 yards. Or you know, That's not a knock on a quarterback because you also have to give them an accurate football to do that. It's not the hardest thing in the world. It's not throwing an 18 to 15 comeback, putting it perfectly. But it is a thing. You have to be good at short intermediate passing, and you'd be stunned how many guys get into the NFL without that ability to put it in stride in somebody's hands. And that's, that is a good part of Dwayne's game, that short and intermediate stuff – is the it's the best part of his game. He is a little inconsistent with deep ball stuff, but about ninety percent of quarterbacks in the NFL are. It's hard. It's a hard ball to throw. And you're, if you're mitigating risk as an offensive coordinator, I'm going to give those guys the ball quick and let's get out and let's play. Now maybe there was a little bit of stat padding that comes to that, but does that mean Dwayne throws thirty eight touchdowns instead of fifty or forty two? Like still, it's a it's a great number. It's that that doesn't change things. He can do those things. Now with this wide receiver group, I didn't see much short stuff with Garrett Wilson. I think that they're going to use him. Um, he's a guy I view as route nuance, a guy who can make two cuts and make somebody look really dumb. Like he does that stuff naturally. He has a very Santonio Holmes feel to his game. Ooh, I, I man, love... I love comparisons. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. Sports writers it love comparisons, and sometimes. 
we are nuts about it and it is impossible. I don't know what the guy who... And then sometimes you just hear a thing and I have not heard anybody compare Garrett Wilson to Santonio Holmes, but I am in. Continue. No, I, I think... I think that that's a common misconception. I get off on tangents, but like he can make back shoulder adjusted throws or he can make difficult wide range of body motion type catches. Um, and you don't have to be 6'4", you don't have to be Benjamin Victor size to make those catches. Like, um, you know, that misconception with can a guy be a goal line threat at 5'11", the Browns just traded for one. Like that, that's the ultimate guy that can go and control his feet. And if you look at that back shoulder throw that he hauled in on the goal line, the 20-yard, 18-yard touchdown from, from, from Baldwin, you see it. That That's the stuff you need to see. And even little things like defeating press blocks with quick hands or quick stutter or a jab here and a, a cut there that sets up your next cut, that sort of little stuff that he does, and I'll tell you why, where he played his high school football, which is Lake Travis, which is where so many, um, there's a guy up here in Cleveland everybody likes a little bit of six foot, you know, guy playing quarterback that everyone likes that, that, that comes from that system. They, they learn those things at the high school level. You learn them, you translate them to this offense, and that's easy to see why Garrett Wilson wanted to come to Ohio State because he fits in so well. Um, but yeah, you got the, you know, I, I don't know. They have KJ Hill. They have KJ so, Hill, who's not as explosive, who's very reliable. In was the open in the field game all day. No, it's not the best defensive back coverage, but he'll get open. Yep. I don't know if they're going to do as much, the high volume of short area throws. Mike Weber was really good at some short area stuff. I'm not sure if Dobbins will be as comfortable with doing. Um, Master T got a lot of touches in the spring game. I was curious. I mean, I think Demario McCall works into that. He Ideally, he was out all spring, so we don't know. I think they would be best served to still keep that part of their offense in play. I think they have guys who can do it. Jalen Gill is a guy we're all going to watch as yeah. that second H back. Very good point. I think I don't think you're going to see a Paris Campbell level of impact on that stuff. Like that's hard to replicate, and that's why he's going to go relatively high in the NFL draft because he's very good at it. He is a Ball, top speed, now guy. Yep. You don't see that often. And you don't see – you'll see guys who get the ball and get to top speed, but their top speed is not 4-3 top speed. So um, you'll see it. I think they'd be wise to keep it in part of, uh, of, of Justin's game because you need to be able to – because a quarterback stay in rhythm, quick throws, completions, keep my feet moving forward instead of moving backwards to a huddle or whatever that situation is. I'm a big believer quarterback's confidence come from moving forward, whether that's a couple yards here and there. It doesn't matter. Completion, ball out of my hand into somebody else's hand. They will keep that stuff. I think this will be the most comfortable version of Ryan Day as a play caller. He will be able to do the things he loves to do with JT, the things he loved to do with Dwayne Haskins, and he can kind of melt them all into one, and we'll see sort of that. I, I can't speak to how often it'll be because it's tough to predict because we don't really know how much he'll rely on one or the other, but I would imagine this is where we'll see him say the full playbook that I would like to run is a potential possibility, and we'll see what he is. Because I think, to your point, in, in 2017 with JT, you couldn't do everything throwing the ball you wanted to do. Exactly. In 2018 with Dwayne Haskins, there was no quarterback running it, and now Justin Fields is, is somewhere in between mm -hmm. those two guys that will give you that option. Um, I thought one of the things that popped that we wrote a lot about initially in 2017 when Ryan Day got here is that they seemed to work the middle of the field mm -hmm. more than they had in previous years. I feel like they got away from that for a couple of years in the Tim Beck, Ed Warner era. JT, I don't think, was comfortable doing it. I don't think he was confident. I think he double-clutched and wouldn't let balls go in the middle of the field when he had a linebacker in front and a safety behind. And if a guy wasn't wide open, he didn't want to throw it. Yeah. Dwayne was more comfortable with that. 
People love to talk about throwing in the middle of the field. People love to talk about throwing to the tight end. I feel like a lot of what Ohio State has done in recent years, their H-backs, their tight end. Their H-back, K.J. Hill's your tight end. Mm-hmm. He's the guy running routes in the middle of the field. That, that's what you're talking about. That's what Jim Trestle always said. When people say, why don't you throw to the tight end, they really mean, why don't you throw over the middle? And if you're throwing over the middle, who cares who's catching mm-hmm. it as long as you're working that part of the field? How important do you think it is to throw over the middle of the field. Do you think Justin Fields can do that? How do you think Ryan Day works that? We, t- we wrote a million things about mesh routes when he first got here. Yeah. And that they and you saw things last year. They, they often did a good job. Johnny Dixon had a couple touchdowns where he was sitting, like sitting in a hole in a zone mm-hmm. about 20 yards down the field, and he would catch it and turn and go. Yeah. And he was gone yeah. 50 yards. But they, would, they did, I feel if Dwayne Haskins did a decent job finding some soft spots in the middle of the defense. How does Ryan Day do that? How important is that, do you think, to Ryan Day? Well, I think they can do it in first in a wide variety of ways. Ruckert is a good tight end. They can cover the middle of the field if they want to get there. And um, I'm going to interrupt again. Ryan Day has talked a lot more this year about potentially playing two tight ends together, yeah. which they Ohio State has very, very rarely done in the past. They have the personnel at tight end to do it. Yeah. And he, for some reason, seems to like that package. And, and if they want to build their run game off read option looks, that play action, lateral play action off that power read I mentioned earlier is a beautiful way. If you, if you remember watching... And I, I just I, I reference a Baker again, but if you watch those Oklahoma, even Kyler, shorter quarterbacks, that's where the middle of the field opens up. You've got linebackers transitioning, moving around, and then you take a wing and you sneak him up the field, or you take a, a backside slot guy like KJ Hill and you drive him on an over route over top the second level. You have to you have to use the middle of the field. If you have a quarterback who's not comfortable throwing between the hashes. The, the defensive coordinators look at percentage. They have smart people calculating these things. 70 time, 70% of the time he's throwing the ball outside the hatches. They are going to broaden their coverage, and they're going to challenge you as a quarterback to find windows over the middle of the field. So it, it, I think it's pretty needless to say it's paramount, but your offense becomes very, very, and I think they went through stretches of this, like you said with JT, where they were hash to, to sideline throws. Like It just felt like unless the ball was out quick on a screen, it just wasn't being delivered within the tackle box. If you draw... If you draw lines that go vertically outside your tackles down to the next end zone, that's the tackle box. They didn't feel comfortable with it. Your offense is, you know, is probably going at 80% of what it could. You have to make four guys covering deep, which is the maximum amount of guys covering deep. You have to make them cover the 53.5. If they're able to cheat outside because you don't feel comfortable throwing inside, you're done. It's, it's just going to keep your offense will not be able to complete any challenging situation that you have to throw. They'll commit more defenders to the box. They'll put you in third and seven plus, and they'll say, hey, man, we're going to leave this this vendor route here is wide open for you. Throw it. I dare you. And then if you can't make that throw, you see frustration, and that's where we were a few years ago and, and I think the year before that. So the good thing is Fields is a bigger kid. He's 6'4". You can see things um, naturally. I think that and I'm not a biggest believer that height is always, you know, because the linemen are taller. Even if you're 6'4", they're bigger than you. Yeah. You have to be able to find windows. Mm-hmm. I have seen a guy that throughout his career as a high school kid, even in his brief glimpses of play at Georgia, use the middle of the field. I broke that down, God, that was three, four months ago now. But um, he'll do it. They need to design things that make him want to do it because as a young quarterback, everything in front of you, is moving fast. If I look right, if I look left, it's not moving as fast. I don't see as many of the big ugly guys coming at me and barreling down. But if I if I look straight on, that's where like the crux of all of the craziness is happening. So it does take some comfort. Um, I, I think that that is a big part of what I would imagine the non-conference they'll work on. 
getting him comfortable with delivering footballs over the middle of the field. And I was encouraged by the spring game. They do a couple nice uh, play action uh, schemes. They did a nice little scissor interchange scheme where they drove uh, number one receiver outside, drove him up the hash, and it was a it was an 80 yard catch. So they'll do it. I think it'll be a big part of what they do. They'll still ask him to make the timing throws. We saw a couple really nice timing throws to. Uh, Austin Mack on mm-hmm. a couple of nice balls that he was one, two, three, no pause throw. Those are called rhythm structure throws. He'll do those things and he'll do them with enough arm strength to do it. So it's open. It's all there. It's just, you, you know, you're talking about these spots that he'll find receivers sitting in zones and be wide open. That's what Dwayne Haskins did well. If a guy was open and he had to move a safety, he could do it. That's what Justin's going to have to really try to do. It's two years to do it. He'll get there. I believe that with Day's uh, ability to sort of scheme it up, talk him through it, I think they'll get there, and he's got enough talent to do it. So I feel good about it, but they have—they certainly have to use the middle of the field throwing the football, and like you said, getting Rucker, those tight ends, Barry out in those space to do that, they can. KJ's good enough to do that too, and then uh, the future of slot, Jalen Gill will be able to probably do those things too down the middle of the field and sort of sit in that honey hole that they call, which is a gap between big coverage, uh, zone coverage guys. So big part of things, obviously, and as a coordinator, you've got to be able to attack those things if you have a quarterback that's comfortable doing it, you're going to see a top 10 offense in the country. What is it about – I have two more things I want to get to, and then we'll, mm-hmm. we'll delve into Dwayne Haskins as, a, as an NFL prospect a little bit. The two tight end personnel look, mm-hmm. um, what is it that Ryan Day would like about that? Is it is it in the run game? Is it an extra blocker in there? Because we've Urban Meyer talked so much about receiver blocking in his career here. That's one of the questions I have about the receivers. I don't know that Austin Mack, Ben Victor, K.J. Hill – Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Like Terry McLaurin was a great blocker. Um, Evan Spencer was a great blocker. I don't know if they have great receiver blockers right now. I always felt like, you know what? Like I get it. That's important, but it's not the number one thing I'd be looking for. Is would that be an adjustment to that of all at all? Like, hey, listen, we have they're four deep at tight end, at least three deep. We like our tight end personnel. Let's get those guys in there because we know they can block. And then also we believe in them in pass catchers. Is that, is that run game oriented or is it something about the pass game that when you have two tight ends on the field, you can get different matchups yeah. that Ryan Day might like? Yes, yeah, so if you put two tight ends on the field, you're typically going to get more base defense, which is, means more linebackers. Unless they have somebody, a defense has somebody like a big nickel. I'm doing air quotes. Big nickel, somebody they trust to come in and play run game box stuff. Which Ohio State is going to use with the they will. bullet position this year. Bullet position. Um, I do I do think it gives you, if you have a tight end and you can play what's called 22, uh, or it even could deem it 12 or, whatever, or 21, which is two tight ends, one back, a couple of receivers. If Ruckert is available or able or barrier able to play the slot two and operate against coverage you get a lot of perimeter blocking advantages because they're just bigger. Whether they're better blockers, you don't necessarily know, but size helps. It, it's all, it, it's very important in football. So if, if you get a guy like that in a two tight end set that can control passing, can he make timing catches? Can he get down the seams and work against safeties? But can he also be a big part of perimeter blocking on power read or outside zone? Yeah, you're going to get big advantages there. You're going to keep defenses if you want to lighten the box and you have two tight ends, one can play the slot and one can play the wing or a true inline three-point stance right next to the tackle guy, you're going to get better run game numbers, but you're also going to be able to not sacrifice perimeter blocking by putting a guy in the slot. So it makes sense. The more tight, I mean, if you look at some of, um, you know, the better college offenses, they use a lot of two tight ends or at least a, a fullback type player that can play that position too and be a hybrid guy. So you don't put two tight ends who aren't pass catchers on the field. You just can't. You can't in modern football because you have to be able to use deception. You have to be able to get them out in space. 
but use them to get them out in space using that layer of run game deception helps. But for me, if I'm looking at Ohio State's situation, I'm putting a tight end in the slot, I'm putting a tight end in the wing, and I'm saying, hey, we can run it outside with plus numbers and a good blocking perimeter option, or we can run it inside the tackle box with a good option. But we can also use these guys here, too, on sneaking them out on different variations of route concepts from their alignment, too. One guy on the shallow cross, one guy on a dig behind it. If they feel comfortable with that, the more size you can have to play the big slot position with Ruckert, it's, it's going to help their offense. Ryan Day talked specifically about Ruckert in the slot this spring. Ohio State had never really talked about that before. I didn't know that, so I'm glad I guessed it. No, you got. I mean, like, I mean, Jake, this is this is what best friends do. (laughs) They just they they have something. They have a connection. So Ryan Day, I mean, he talked when he talked about Ruckert in the slot. I was like, what? Because we just haven't seen that. And Urban Meyer, when he talks H-back, he talks Percy Harvin. He talks speed. I understand that slot is about mismatches. This is a different way to get a mismatch. Mm -hmm. Again, you go to your personnel. I think the tight end position is as deep as any position on the roster right now. They 100% believe in Ruckert, Barry, and Farrell. And then Jake Hausman is a guy who was a huge recruit Mm -hmm. who saw some time in the spring. I think the idea that Ryan Day is very interested in the idea of putting two tight ends personnel-wise on the field, and then sometimes Ruckert is in the slot. Yeah. Sometimes he's not. Well, now just you're look getting at, look mismatches. Look at what Iowa did with their guy. I, I mean, mean, I would look at what Iowa did with Fanton Hawkinson and how they use those guys inside-outside. And you give – I mean, like, if I'm looking at what is a Noah Fant clone, I'm looking at Jeremy Ruckert. Like, that's the guy that can get out in space, catch a football. But can he be a vicious blocker? Because if they can, your offense is very good and very flexible. Yes. And, and it's hard because I don't – you don't want to take K.J. Hill off the field. Sure. So maybe – I mean, K.J. Hill's a fifth-year guy. He can probably play anywhere. There's probably some some sets where you can have him play an X or Z and have him be an outside and still – but it's a personnel grouping yeah. that's going to get them in a base defense, and then you can throw on that. Yep. But you also – I don't know that Ruckert is a ferocious blocker yet. I think that Farrell, I think, is a really good blocker. I think Barry is a good – I think Farrell's the best blocker, Ruckert's the best pass catcher, and Barry is the most versatile in between. Yeah. Yeah. So, But just the idea of that different personnel look that we have almost never seen them play two tight ends before, I'm very interested. I think it perhaps personnel-wise – the biggest difference that fans will see in the fall because basically in the Urban Meyer era, yeah. you had a tailback, two outside receivers, and an H-back every snap. Yeah. Not maybe 100%, maybe 95%. And I think we might get a little more variation if on you that. Get, if you have Ruckert, too, and I'll, I'll say this, you want your personnel groupings to be a neutral run-pass giveaway. And if you have the ability, if you put K.J. Hill in the slot – Probably not going to run on the perimeter very much. And if they do, we feel good about being able to bend this thing back inside and make a play. You put Ruckert in the slot. You put Barry in the wing, vice versa. Where are they going? You take away run pass. You know, if they got a tight end in the slot, it doesn't give us any indication, but it does give them better numbers, and it does give them a better blocker on the perimeter. Then you got defensive coordinators doing what you're doing, scratching their heads, saying, I don't really know what they're doing. I don't have a tendency to give my guys... That's what you want as an offensive coordinator, teams that are just very confused as to whether they should be getting on their toes and coming downhill or should they be on their heels and ready to defend the pass. And that's the advantage is a true 50-50 run-pass split giveaway from a bigger personnel set, which is rare because you get a bigger personnel set, naturally your mind thinks run the football. Yeah. But that, if you have a tight end like Ruckert who can do both and get the ball up the, up the seams on people, challenge safeties, you make a linebacker turn and run with him. 
that's a good situation. You know what I'm wondering about now? Because I think Paris was a pretty good blocker. Again, Paris to me is is such a rare combination of size and speed. Mm-hmm. I've said it a thousand times. KJ's a little smaller. Yeah. It just makes me wonder. I wonder if there's some breakdown of because KJ and Paris basically shared the H back spot last year. Mm-hmm. Was there any tendency that did they? Throw any more when KJ was in, to look at it. and maybe believe that Parrish could handle the blocking a little bit more. I don't know. Just in terms of again, yeah. that you don't want to give anything away from your personnel grouping. I, I makes me wonder if there were maybe times last year when they did give something away, or maybe not. I don't know. Last thing I want to ask about Ohio State offense, and then we'll get to Dwayne, and this is sort of related to Dwayne. So I get it. Justin Fields threw a 98-yard touchdown pass to Ben Victor in the spring game. It was like a sideline route to a 6'4 scholarship receiver against a walk-on. And to me... Not a good thing. To me, like, I didn't make a big deal about that because to me, you watch these guys in warm-ups, they throw that ball Mm -hmm. 20 times in Mm warm-ups. And any quarterback worth his salt can stand back with no safety help and throw a, a deep ball on the sideline 40 yards down the field and hit a receiver in stride, right? Like, it looks fancy. Yeah. It's not that hard to do, right? No, if it's a clean pocket and you're just laying it out three from the sideline, that's a, that's a day one repetition yeah. drill. So I didn't get that wound up about that no. because I didn't think that was like, wow, Justin Fields has arrived. It's like, no. I can show you the fifth-string quarterback at UMass Amherst that can make that throw. But... This is what I want to get into. How do you think Ryan Day is in attacking teams with the deep ball? It mm-hmm. felt like last year there were times they threw it deep. There were some games they didn't throw it deep at all. And they would come out and say, listen. And we'd say after the game, hey, why don't you throw it deep? They'd say, well, they weren't letting us throw it deep. And yeah. then they were very content yeah. to take things that short and intermediate and not force the deep ball. And I thought that was a plus for them. that they It felt like they ne- they very rarely force things deep. It felt like more often than not, they would set teams up with the run game, with the short pass game, suck them up, and then go over top of them at times. Yeah. How do you think Ryan Day does in integrating the deep ball into his offense, and do you have a read so far, and how do you think Justin Fields can execute the deep ball? Well, I think I think that that it's all about who you play. So you mentioned earlier some weeks they did, some weeks they didn't. There are some defensive coordinators who in perpetuity are afraid of being BD. They just will not allow, they'll play their coverage in a situation where they're we're bailing and they're not allowing them to be BD. And if you're an offensive coordinator and you're constantly throwing the ball into coverage, that's on you. That's a mistake. That's, that's leading to less likely for success within play to play to play. So you figure out what they're challenging you with. What are they most often coverage-wise? down and distance, what do they like to do, and then you branch your stuff off of that. If they're an odd coverage team, meaning single high safety, we're going to push the alleyways, which we'll talk about later. We're going to push the alleyways on these guys, and we're going. And that's why you'd see Paris Campbell and, 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 and McLaurin and, and KJ Hill catching the ball up the hashes and one-hand plucks that we saw last week. You, you figure out... What teams, if they're an even coverage team, they're probably going to be deeper in nature, meaning cover two, cover four, and then we'll take what they give us underneath because that's one less player in underneath coverage or one less player blitzing. So this, to me, there's not really a true tell yet. I think what I notice is Fields can do it. You, you either have a guy who can throw a deep bucket, and even like he went, what, four for 13? Correct. But there was a couple balls down the sideline I thought should have been caught, and there were some that were way more impressive throws than... 
the ball to, to, to Ben running down the side. It was an easy throw. It was a one, two, three throw. But some of his tempo throws that were um, hitches and outs, and there was a comeback in there really good. There was a ball at the left sideline I thought should have been caught in a ball that was dropped. Uh, I think I don't know, somebody dropped one up the right sideline too I thought it could have been caught. I do think they'll challenge teams vertically. Um, I do. I do certainly think the spring game's tough because they're they're playing the, like base defenses as often as they possibly can. You yeah. are playing a lot of walk on guys. You got to fill two rosters, so you are going to in coverage have non scholarly guys that are trying to cover Ben Victor on a deep ball or trying to cover the middle of the field. And they're they're just not good. So I think, and I even wrote about it. I do think they're going to push the ball downfield. They have guys in Mac. They have guy in Garrett Wilson. They have a guy in Ben Victor. Are all size guys or at least a threat to body control, range of catch, make plays. We will probably see less Paris Campbell underneath things by nature, more aggressiveness down the field, because what I think the best traits of Fields, run game, read, athleticism, and I think he's got a big arm to push the ball downfield. Dwayne was better at the cerebral Mm -hmm. side of things and seeing throwing accurately underneath the intermediate stuff. So I think that they will challenge teams run game-wise and build really good play action and numbers to push the ball downfield. So I would expect me personally with the receiving corp that they have and the type of quarterback they have to see more vertical stuff. That's just my prediction. Could be wrong. You could have me on midseason and say, Jake, you're an idiot. Oh, I love having people on and saying, Uh, hi, you were wrong. (laughs) Well, that is very plausible. So that's my hunch based on what I saw in the spring game. They wanted to unleash him throwing the football down the field because that is what I think he is most gifted at doing while also incorporating, hey, this 6'4", 220 guy that can run can also beat you inside the tackle box if we choose to. So that puts a stress on defenses. We can't creep up and play extra guys in the box because he could actually launch one overhead. They have this kid... Mac, who can run down the football field and track the football well. They have Victor, who's a, get, a big guy who can go up and get it. They have another kid, Alave, we haven't even talked about, yep. who's proven to be a pretty good football player outside, too. And then Garrett Wilson, who's a true freshman, who we think is going to be an impact player, too. So there's threats everywhere. The, and then they have these two tight ends who are pretty good, too, who could challenge the middle of the field. So that's my hunch. More running game with the quarterback, that's obvious. Anybody with a brain can kind of surmise that. But they're going to push the ball, I think, to the different type of wide receiver group now. A little bit more downfield. That's my hunch. All right, let's dig in very quickly on Dwayne Haskins, NFL prospect. Um, I feel like a lot of the stuff that's come around on Dwayne, um, and again, we're recording this on Tuesday night. The draft, uh, Dwayne will be drafted on Thursday. Um, is is coming? You know, the, the this analysis is the conversation is, we've needed to have. We need to have this one. Yeah, this is a good one. The, the, it's come back around to. What it always was with Dwayne, Dwayne, which is he's not real mobile. How is he going to handle pressure? And but he's more of a traditional NFL pocket passer, and he's he's cerebral, and I think he can make the throws, and I think he's pretty accurate. But if you're looking for a great athlete, you're looking for somebody else. You and I had a Twitter conversation a couple weeks ago about this. You had sort of uh, said you thought. I think you were reacting to some Dwayne praise that I think you thought went too far. And then I was like, bro, <laughs> don't come at my guy, because I love Dwayne. Um, and, and I think we settled on the idea of he's good. He's not Andrew Luck, but he's good. L- let's start off by making you the bad guy, because, again, I like to be the guy that everybody loves. You're hosting. It's, you it's it. never happened before, but hopefully someday everyone will love me. What is it about did, – what did you maybe feel like, man, people are going too far with praising Dwayne Haskins? I think that they're ignoring that there are some modern NFL things that he does not do well. So 
this is a big umbrella answer that's going to give you my whole side on him. He is very smart. Very smart quarterback. And if you get him in film rooms, which I think I've seen a film room of him. He was just on with Dan Orlovsky. Yep. That's fantastic. He did one in Ohio State's film room. Who was that with? Can't remember. But it was great. He was talking about Michigan. Can't remember. It was somebody. Uh, Jerry DiNardo. Jerry DiNardo. Very fantastic. Thought process, how I get from here to there, which is so important as a quarterback. Don't tell me the result. Tell me your process. Process over result every time. He's very, very accurate short intermediate throws. I think he sees windows very well. Here's where things get dicey in the NFL. You have to be able to push the ball downfield. I don't think accuracy-wise, downfield throwing, he is great to elite. I think he's good, average to good, which you can still get by with that. Like Mitch Trubisky type. Like I think you can get by with that. That can be a good quarterback. He also, like you said, struggles against two things. At least he's only been a starter for a year, so these things could shift. Like I thought he got better as the year on. There were some really sketchy midseason games. Purdue, uh, Michigan State were Penn not State good. for three quarters. Penn State, yes. But he got be- this is what I like. He got better. Michigan into Washington, he looked the part, every bit the part. And There's North, still and some North Northwestern, Western Big Ten Championship game, I think he would say it's his best game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. He got he got better, and that's what you want to see. You want to see that, that, that curve on the graph going upward. I thought he got better. But there are still some things you look at, and you're like, the numbers against pressure, not good. There's a multitude of things as to why those numbers could not be good. It could not be. It could be him. It could be somebody else running the wrong route. It could be somebody missing their protection. We don't know all those things, but the numbers are the numbers and the way his body reacted to it. So to be in the NFL is shifting the way they think about modern quarterbacks. We're about to see two straight drafts with guys under 6'1 going number one overall, given that Kyler Murray follows the trends and goes number one to Arizona. They are looking for guys with enough arm to be able to throw all over the field, guys with a cerebral understanding of everything going on around them. Guys who also, when things break down, do they have what I call comfort and chaos? If things are going crazy around them, can they deliver the football from a wide variety of different bases, meaning their feet are pointed different than their hips should be pointing, or their feet are pointing um, and their arm is going a different direction? Because people are hanging all around you. The NFL game, it's it's chaos in the, in the box, and more so than college because you have better athletes all around you. And then lastly, can you escape and can you make things happen with your feet? Not necessarily to run. Right. But keep your eyes downfield. Keep your eyes downfield. Deliver a ball accurately on the run. I was very high on Baker Mayfield, higher than I've ever been on a college quarterback because I thought he did all four of those things very well. He actually was better outside of structure than I thought he would be. Like getting out, feeling things happening in front of him, getting out of the pocket and delivering accurate footballs on the run. Like he was phenomenal with that. That's probably his best thing that people don't talk about. This is something that Dwayne has to prove. He, he when think he's not mobile, he's more. I see him so similar to Josh Rosen. I just do. And here's the thought process for me in which he's not quite there. The and why he, I shouldn't say he's not quite there. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good quarterback, but why he's not being considered one, two, three, four, five. He doesn't have great comfort in chaos yet when things are going crazy, like at his feet, at his arm, angle stuff. That stuff could be better. And he is not going to get out of the pocket and throw. Big time throws for you, and I don't. He, I don't think he ever will. No, and I don't either. So here's where teams are probably thinking: Can he? We see. Josh Rosen was terrible last year, but the things around him weren't very good up front. Most of the teams drafting at the top half of the draft have terrible up front situations, and that's why they're in the predicament they're in. 
Baker Mayfield has a really good year. Why? He was able to handle chaos in front of him. He was able to get out of the pocket and deliver throws, and he had no issues zipping throws down the field into, air quotes again, tight windows. Can Dwayne do all of those things? That's what they're evaluating. Can he eventually? Yes. Should a team be patient with him? 100% yes. The, the Kevin Zeitler trade, to me, pointed them more in the Dwayne Haskins route than anything I've seen. Because they can, they need to protect him. Like if you look at the, the two, Giants at six, yes, the Giants at six. If you look at the two quarterbacks who um, succeeded the most last year, Lamar Jackson is probably your other one. Why? Because he went to a stable franchise with a really good offensive line in front of him, and they cultivated the offense to his skill base. The same thing happened, I think, with Baker to an extent. I think Baker actually made them, but Baker's rare. Like he's very rare in terms of all of the things he can do in a complete package. Dwayne, can he get there? Yes, but some of it is coming with a level of, I think he can. He's only put 13 games on tape. Yep. Baker had 46 games on tape. That's a thing. Like Experience and seeing things and unfolding and all the different scenarios that can happen in front of me, seeing all of those is, is important. You cannot undersell experience. And this is, like, quarterback age isn't a big deal. Like, Sam Darnold comes into the league at 21 years old. That's great. He's young. He's, you know, what he's doing, what Baker have done at 20. Quarterback age doesn't matter as they get older. All these guys, if they're good enough, are going to play into their late 30s. I'd rather have a quarterback who comes in ready to play right now. Boom, day one guy. We wish the Browns were that way. They weren't, but they got him eventually. Now we have four years of a rookie contract Mm -hmm. in a a very vital, which is a huge topic we could talk about another time. I have four years of a rookie contract with elite quarterback play we think happening here. Can Dwayne do that? Can he come in? Day one and be a 27 touchdown quarterback his rookie year. I just don't think that's there. That doesn't mean he doesn't eventually become what you think he can become, but at the way things are structured right now and the way things are trending toward these are the quarterbacks who are the most successful, that's where I think teams are showing a little bit of pause. That's where I'm at too. But does that mean he's not in the high tier for me? No. Like I see it as Baker on his own tier, and I've said this since last year. I have Kyler and Sam below that, and I have Dwayne and Josh like right in that mix with those guys too, a tier below the best guy that you know. And obviously, Pat Mahomes in the year before with Deshaun Watson, those guys were phenomenal too. So, like, I think he's on like the Mitch Trubisky trend. He's going to be taken high, maybe not second overall, but he can do some things really well. How they tailor the offensive line in front of him, how they structure the scheme for him, will be very important. I don't want him to be rushed. I just think he should be, when he's ready to start, whether you know that's day one or whether you know that's him sitting a year and playing the following year, that's what's going to be important. I think I'm not here to say, I am not here to say Dwayne Haskins is not a good quarterback. I never wanted it to be phrased that way. I'm not saying that. He's an NFL quarterback. He should be taken by 13. If he's not taken by Miami, somebody's messed up because you just don't know what next year's draft's going to look like. You don't know how good Tua's going to be from Alabama. Then you're banking on Trevor Lawrence. It's two years away, and you're just right. silly. He's good enough to win football games in the next few years. How you structure things around him will be important. But I, when I got on to, to the whole thing about some hyper, hyperbole, I don't think he's anywhere near the prospect that Baker Mayfield was. I just don't think he's there yet. That's, but again, Doug, that, that's a guy that played 46 college football games or yeah. something of that number against Dwayne who played 13. So I just don't see them at the same tier. That doesn't mean he's not a good quarterback, but I'm not going to sit here and say, this is my number one guy of the last three years. Some people are saying that, and that's where I'm like, I, I don't get it. But I think he's going to be good. That's where I'm at. Long-winded, I think he's going to be good, but he's got to go the right situation. He's got to get the right coaching and the right scheme. The, the belief... <clears throat> I would take, I would put Baker ahead of him. I would put Darnold ahead of him. 
I'm a little iffy on Kyler. I think he's boom bust. I, I really like Lamar Jackson. Again, I don't think, for instance, Lamar Jackson ever should have been in the conversation for the Browns at one, just because I think there's a chance it wouldn't work. But if it does work, boy, it really could be something. But I'd take Dwayne Haskins over Josh Allen. I'd take him over Josh Rosen. Um, again, it's just there, it's been a good little run of quarterbacks here. It's like, would you take him? Okay, well, would you take him over Mitch Trubisky and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes? It's like, man, those guys are good. I don't know. That's not like a, That's not a. That's not a negative. On Dwayne, I think we would you take him over Carson Wentz and Jared Goff? It's like, man, I, don't, I mean, I think it might be similar to Jared it's Goff. It's a good three year stretch. You know, I mean, it really has been, yeah. and I know sometimes people get excited. A guy like me, I've been very excited about this crappy young quarterbacks. And you go back another year and you get to Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, who went one and two. And like, where are those franchises now? You don't know exactly. Are those like Super Bowl quarterbacks? Probably not. So I get it. Everyone's excited about young quarterbacks early on. I think Dwayne's going to be good. The, the athleticism thing is just is it is what it is. Yeah. If you demand for your quarterback to make plays out of structure and be a run threat and turn nothing into something, then just don't pick him. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question is: is it is there part of this? And I remember having conversations about this, like with linebackers in recent years. And there's some guys that it just feels like, man, you're a really good player, but I don't know if you fit the game anymore. Yeah. Is there any part of this that that is there any belief that, like, well, he's a really good pocket passer, but you can't be a pocket passer anymore? Or is there a way? My belief with Dwayne is smart, will diagnose things before they happen, yeah. will will deal with pressure by getting rid of the ball before the pressure gets there. He will not deal with pressure with his legs. Yeah. He will deal with pressure with his brain. And we have seen quarterbacks succeed that way. It just so happens that in recent years... Even the ones who are really good with their brains are also pretty good with their legs, many of them. Is, is that a belief? Can you still – is your brain enough? Or in the modern NFL, do you have to be able to move and get out of the pocket? It's a good question. I think, you, I think it helps, and I think it significantly helps. Like if you look at these guys, Carson Wentz, Pat Mahomes – even Trubisky. Yep, Mitch for sure, good athlete. Baker, Sam, those guys have been Deshaun. Deshaun have been Patrick good athletes. Mahomes, they're good, good athlete. athletes. They can get out and move, and they're not movers to run. No, they're movers to throw. So the guy I would look at is Jared Goff. Doesn't move well, but what does he have? He has one of the elite play callers in the NFL. A guy who understands numbers in the box and run game and understands how important play action passing is to, to pass game success. You don't have to run. There's, there's so many great articles written on this concept that you don't have to actually set up the run to run play action. Just the deception alone causes confusion, causes breakdowns in coverage, whatever. He needs, I think he needs somebody who is very forward thinking in his thought process as an offensive coordinator. Look at what I if I were in the position of drafting him, all the positive traits you and I have talked about, I would just pull Rams tape from the last three years and say, How the heck did the Rams figure out how Jared Goff can fit into this modern system? This is what we need to be doing. So whoever takes him, teams on the table to maybe take him, Oakland could at four. Um, somebody could always move up. This is this is just where I think he could go. Oakland at four, um, Giants at six. Uh, looks like probably Denver at 10. Denver 10, 11, Cincinnati 11. Cincinnati's 11. And Zach Taylor, yep. somebody who's worked. New Bengals that. coach, he's, came from the Rams. And it would be a good fit. Like that guy could, you have a Joe Mixon at tailback. You, two Green. fantastic receivers. Tyler Boyd came into his own last year. 
I mean, if I'm the Bengals, I'm really considering it because I know how to work a quarterback like him with, with arm talent, accuracy, intermediate short, can push it downfield to open receivers. I could run a lot of play action with some very skilled guys in the backfield and the skill position players, alleviate some of the pressure on Bobby Hart, some of my guys who aren't as good. You hope Billy Price gets a little bit better this year for them. But that's a really good fit. Or 13 Miami, 15 Washington. Like That's the threshold. He should be gone by 15. If he's not gone by 15, I don't know what the heck happened. You want to know, uh, I have a post that will go up at 5 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Let's hear it. Where I predicted the draft positions for all the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I have Dwayne Haskins going ninth to the Redskins in a trade-up. Trade-up. Believing, I think I see what you just, a lot of people would see. There's that group, right? If he gets past the Giants at 6, yeah. there's that group. 10, 11, 13, 15, where he all would make sense. Yeah. And so I have the Redskins jumping to the front of that group to get ahead of Denver, Cincinnati, and Miami. Buffalo's at 9. I think Buffalo, with the quarterback of the future, mm-hmm. looking to gather assets, would move back six spots, mm-hmm. pick up an extra second rounder or something, yeah, put one. some stuff around Josh Allen. I think, but I think one of those, and this is, I just feel about this, and then we'll end this here because this has been fantastic. Um, you got to go get your quarterback. And that's the thing that drove me crazy with the Browns for so many years. It's like, well, who fell to us? It's like, that is not how you address the most important position on the field. Oh, Brandon Whedon was there. I guess we'll take him. That you go, you get your guy. Yeah. So I think it would be great for, like, if Cincinnati's like, yo, Wheeler, we really like this guy. We just think he's going to get to us at 11. Our fingers are crossed. We really like him. That's great. You know, like if he gets into the twenties and it's like, eh, who figured he would be? That's a bad. Like yeah, I don't. Bad like oh well, you know, the Chargers. Well, Philip Rivers. But I think if somebody in that group, maybe that four-team group, yeah, who likes him the most and who's willing to jump, because I do think he's the second best quarterback. I get the Kyler thing at one. If the Browns were taking Kyler at one, I'd be a little nervous. I wouldn't be pounding the table to not do it. I would just be much more nervous than I was about Baker mm-hmm. for on and off field things. Just Baker as a leader, Baker as a thicker dude, yeah. just whatever. Yeah. Kyler seems to have all the skills. Yeah. But I just don't. I mean, if you're going to tell me that you're going to take Drew Locke or Daniel Jones ahead of Dwayne Haskins, like, good luck. That's fine. I Whatever. But I think, he, to me, clearly... If, if if we don't want to put him in Andrew Luck territory, we don't want to say he's the best quarterback prospect of the past five, past five years. I agree with that. Franchise quarterback that you should go get as the number two quarterback in this draft, that I'm all in on. I'll put my prediction on record. I think the Bengals go up two spots to get him. I think they'd be wise to do it. Andy Dalton's getting older. Much older than I thought he was. In his 30s? Middle I think he was a little old coming yeah, out, yeah, too. Yeah. 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 Um, just would fit. I think Zach Taylor's got to look at the tie. I, 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 whoever gets him you got to go study Jared Goff. That's the best modern-day comparison. Look at even how Todd Monken used Jameis Winston, another similar type of athlete. How did he use him? What did Todd Monken do? Play action, play action, play action. How did they do it? How did they find success? That's how you can find success for Dwayne. Cincinnati, there's no better fit for the type of mind offensively that Zach Taylor is, where he comes from. It would make a ton of sense. Maybe Cincinnati waits to 11, they could get him there, but I think they'd be wise to jump over Denver, take him 9, defeat, and that's not a big jump. You wouldn't nope. have to give up a ton of stuff. Could even maybe parlay it into next year. Um, and uh, I just think that'd be – I hate it because then he's in the Browns division. And There's a lot of Buckeyes in the Bengals. If he sure. goes there too, that'd sure. be, that'd be I, fun. I just think that'd be the best fit for him. So I'm hoping all the best for him. I, it's going to be cool to see the first Brown – or sorry, the first Buckeye drafted. 
of quarterback in the first round since you told me the car went. Well, it's going to be it'll be it'll be the first Big Ten quarterback drafted in the first round since Kerry Collins in '95, and the first yeah, Ohio Big State quarterback. Ten. That's first crazy. Ohio State quarterback drafted the first round since Arch Schleister. Doesn't doesn't so. make sense. You, you you would think that somewhere along the line from '99 ish, where what Drew Brees was the first pick in the second round, yeah, to 2019, you would have had somebody stumble into a first round. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. That's probably one of the more unbelievable stats I heard. Last it week. is. I tried to explain why in the thing I wrote for this weekend. I mean, it, it's mostly just weird. I think there are some baseline things, yeah. but also Dwayne. So I mean, the point of it is too, but. Part of the point of that is, of course, we know Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, Big Ten quarterbacks who have succeeded in the NFL, not going in the first round. Did you hear Tom Brady went in the sixth round? I didn't know if people knew that. Um, I'm joking. Of course you know that. Geniuses. Here's the thing. It's about perception. It's about how, how the NFL sees certain types of players. Yeah. And I think because the Big Ten plays defense, because they deal with some weather stuff, I think maybe... Big Ten quarterbacks have at times been underestimated. But I think the point of this with Dwayne Haskins is we get what the questions are. But what Dwayne Haskins did in the Big Ten last year, he put up Big 12 numbers in the Big Ten. And that is not how it goes. And I do think – I'm not here to rail against Big 12 defenses – but I think Big Ten. I think fifty touchdowns in the Big Ten is different than fifty touchdowns in the Big Twelve. And so, yeah, I, you can even say, the oh, 12, even, yeah, it's yeah, just a yeah. weather, defense, yeah. style of play. It's just a different thing. And yes, I think with the way they ran some things, there was a little bit of stat padding with some short throws and stuff. But again, he did things that do not happen in this conference. Yeah. And so. When you evaluate him, I think you have to kind of evaluate him as a Big Ten quarterback, realizing, well, you don't just compare him statistically, and you don't just compare him on film to Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen and Patrick Mahomes and guys who played in different systems in different parts of the country. Remember what he was and where he did it, and that here, that doesn't happen. And that if he did that as a guy who couldn't move very well... Mm -hmm. As a guy who's going to have the same limitations in the NFL, he had him here, and he had a really good play caller. Yeah. But he found a way to do things that have never been done here, at least not in a long time. Blueprint's there. Blueprint's there. Uh, Day put it on film for how to use him, and, and I think you can look at modern NFL guys that are doing the same things. Get his butt under center. Let him play from, um, you know, drop back from play action, and, and let him thrive, man. He's got, this, got the head to do it. He's got to prove he loves the game, get in really good shape, be the leader that everyone thinks he can be. He's not going to be that outward vocal leader all the time, but he's a he's a guy you have to – you know, we talk about that on the way up, but guys that have it. Whatever it is, and you do the air quotes for that one because you can't really quantify it, but guys have it. Guys respect these quarterbacks. It goes beyond uh, position, beyond race, beyond anything else. Just get like, that's my guy. That's my that's my dog. That's my, that's my guy. I believe in him. I believe yep. in him when things count. I believe in him when our backs are against the wall. I believe in him when our franchise needs an answer. And I believe that Dwayne Haskins has that to I think him. Guys, guys in the locker room like Dwayne Haskins, and I yeah. think they'll play for him. And that speaks for him. So I'm in. Chambers, 11. That's my call. No, 9. I don't nine. Know. We both said the 9. The Bills are in a great spot. They could mortgage that, that 9 pick for like three extra first-rounders. Uh, Jake, what's your, what's your Twitter handle again? I am at uh, Jake underscore Burns 18 if you want to stumble upon some average takes. So make sure <laughs> – <laughs> that, that's a good name for a podcast, average takes. Um, so listen, 
Jake has done a lot of great work on the Browns for us. He's done some really interesting stuff with Ohio State. Um, he's going to continue to do great work for us. So make sure you're following him. Make sure you're reading him at Cleveland.com. We thank him so much for being on. We'll have him back here on Buckeye Talk. And we will be back with more on Buckeye Talk. Thanks for that great, great hour and seven-minute segment, Jake. We'll see you guys soon. Don't go anywhere. Doug Lamarice will be back. Jake Burns is going to go live his life away from me. <laughs> see you soon. That's it. Thanks to Jasmine. Thanks to Tylen. Thanks to Jake. I'm Doug Maurice. Back next week with the big recruiting podcast. For now, that was Buckeye Talk.